Psalm 1 is a psalm of instruction. Listen to the six verses. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like the chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, brothers and sisters, this psalm is a psalm of instruction, It's didactic by nature. That means its design is to teach us what the profitable way is before God, the way of happiness, the way of peace before God. The psalm can be easily broken up into two main parts, two main parts. The first part of the psalm is the condition of the godly man's character and why he is, why he's happy. That verses one through three addresses the happiness of the saint, the believer, the one who loves God and follows his ways. Verse four, five, and six can, can be uh, seen as the misery of the unrighteous, the sinful, the ungodly the happiness of the godly and the misery of the ungodly. That's what this psalm in its essence addresses. And it does this perfectly well in six verses. It's small, it's compact. Like much of the Psalter, I believe at one time I I went through the Psalter and I selected all of the Psalms that were 10 verses or less. And it was the majority. That is, you can memorize the majority of the the whole Psalter by just addressing 10 verses or less. So it's, it's, it's a big work. It's a big book. But there are a lot of small Psalms in that book. So I throw that out there for your encouragement in case you wanted to tackle memorizing those psalms. Now let's, in our study this evening or this afternoon, address the righteous or the happy man. And to do that, we're going to look at his character. That is, the happiness of the godly depends upon his character. He's not just happy because he's born into the right family. He's not just happy because he, you know, is a member of the right church. He's happy because he is right with God. Now, what is it about Psalm 1 that helps us understand this or highlights it? Well, look right there in these first two verses and you'll see something about his character. Notice in verse 1. He's very particular about his acquaintances. 
Very particular about the people that he surrounds himself with or she surrounds herself with. That is, the godly understand that they are to avoid anyone who does not help them thrive, grow, exceed in godliness. And that's terribly important, isn't it? Paul even says in the book of Corinthians that bad company corrupts good morals. Some of us maybe have grown up hearing that from our parents when they were challenging us about our friends. Parents having that experiential wisdom under, they typically can see and understand that there are some friendships that are not healthy for us and they would give us advice to stay away from this person or that. But in a spiritual sense, the same thing applies. We are God's children. If we are believers, we are God's children. And if we are God's children, we are blessed. We're blessed by being his sons and daughters. We're blessed by knowing him. We're blessed by having a relationship with him, having peace with him. And yet that peace, that blessedness, that favor can be assaulted in this life. We need to understand that. There can be people, choices we make, friendships we maintain that can mitigate our blessedness, our happiness, and our faithfulness and usefulness to God in his kingdom. And that's natural. And when I say natural, that should be something that we don't have to come to church to actually understand. It's natural. If we are around the wrong type of people, it is very common for us to pick up the wrong kinds of habits. And, and I've, I've certainly handled many of these things in my pastoral career in counseling and have had to actually counsel people in certain situations to leave their job to leave their employment, to find other employment. I remember one gentleman in particular. He was in an office environment, a corporate environment that was very licentious, very sexual. And it was having an impact upon him. And he was a professing believer. And he finally came to me after, you know, falling into some of those pitfalls and ruts, if you will. And he said, I have to repent. I need, I need help. What can I do? And I said, well, there's only really one thing you can do as we opened up God's word and we looked at Psalm 1 and that is, and it was, you need to change company. You need to remove yourself out of that environment because you're not going to change it. You're not going to change it. And that's one of the things that Christians need to understand. We have to be careful about these evangelizing relationships. Now, I'm not saying we don't have relationships where we evangelize. That's not the point. My point is it's like an, an unbelieving woman being interested uh, or a, a, a believing woman being interested in an unbelieving man. And she thinks that she's going to convert him so they can get married. That's not, that's not a, a healthy relationship. And vice versa. I, can, I don't have enough fingers 
to address what I've seen with believers getting entangled with unbelievers and years wasted, years wasted, and it end up in divorce. It ends up with children, divorce, just just hard situations. And and most of the time, I'm going to say 90% of the time, with the people that I have spoken with said, I knew better. I knew better. My, in fact, many of them had warnings given to them. Don't marry this person. This person is not serious. Don't marry them, particular fathers, telling their daughters not to get entangled with this man. And they did not listen. They did not heed their father's godly advice. And 10 years goes by, there's three or four kids involved, and now they're divorced. Now, that is, not an, that is not a unique situation, is it? It is way more common than we can imagine. And it begins here. It begins here. It begins with the godly understanding that, they, that we ought to, with wisdom, put up parameters in our, in, our, in our sphere of influence, we must have, brothers and sisters, parameters. We must have boundaries that we set up for the purpose of insulating ourselves from falling into these pitfalls and sins to maintain our blessedness, our favor, this godliness that God expects out of his children. The delight, notice the, I mean, look at the words of verse one, how blessed is the man. Look at verse two, but his delight. Look at verse three, he will be like a tree planted by the streams of water, yield, which yield its fruit in its season, and in whatever he does, prospers. No, all of, all of that language, all of those words, look at the prosperity, look at the, the, the depth and the breadth of the blessedness that belongs to the child of God if he walks with God and walks in his ways. I would think we would all want that. Now, I know we all desire that, but wanting it well, that's the, where the rubber meets the road kind of thing. We, when we want something, we go get it. We go after it. John Brown says this. He says, the character of the godly, look how, look how holy they are. They abstain from temptation and they abstain from the appearance of evil. How? By not mingling and, and having close friendships with the ungodly. That's how you do it. Now, brothers and sisters, listen to me. It's best to have no friends than the wrong kind of friends. Okay? It's best to be lonely, which a Christian can never really be lonely in one sense because who's always with us? God is. God is everywhere. God is everywhere we could ever be. And God is close to us. And he will nurture us. And he will, he, he will fellowship with us. And he will nourish our inner souls, our beings, our spirits. And he will encourage us. Now, listen, that's not mystic. 
He's done that throughout all of scripture with, with many of the saints that have been exiled and, and persecuted and, and put away. I mean, he did it with Elijah. Elijah had no friends and yet God was with him. God nurtured him, prepared him, and, and constantly had him ready for those battles that he had to face. David, look how many times David was run out of the city, run out of his own home, first by his father-in-law, then by his family members. And yet, who does David say has been with him? God has always been with him. He says, I can go nowhere that my God is not there with me. And so I repeat and I say it again because it, it is a truthful statement. It's better to have no friends than the wrong kind of friends. But let's look at this character. Notice in verse one, he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. The word walk in Hebrew and the word walk in Greek mean the same thing. It means lifestyle. It means lifestyle. That is the character of the godly doesn't take lifestyle advice from the world, from the ungodly. The world system, you might place, if not the majority of them, most of them, into the whole uh, the, the, the psychology, uh, psychotherapy realm that tells people all the time what your problem is, you need to begin to embrace your deviancy, you need to embrace your depravity, and you just need to be who you are no matter what. It doesn't matter what anybody says, it doesn't matter what cultural manners are, you just be you. And of course, that kind of advice is gonna lead that person straight to hell. John tells us in the epistle of 1 John that friendship with the world is hatred toward God. This is where he gets it. This is where he gets it. But Psalm 1 is also an introduction to the old Psalter and there are, there are, there's a relationship to Psalm 1 to the original couple, Adam and Eve, in the fall. Should Adam had listened to Eve? Should Eve had listened to Satan? Both going against God's counsel? Both going against that bliss and happiness of paradise in the context of the life that they were put into to enjoy? No. Eve was wrong to listen to Satan. She lacked nothing. She didn't need anything. She had been given everything she needed by God. Yet Satan created in her mind and in her heart this void and where she believed that God was withholding from her. And that's exactly what the ungodly love to do. You're missing out. You don't know how much fun this sin is. And yet all throughout the Bible we talk, all, all throughout the Bible, we see that the sinful, where there is sin, there's misery. From, from cover to cover. If you think about the Gospels, I think about 
Judas. He thought he was going to be set for the rest of his life. He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That's a large sum of money in that day. He thought he had cashed in. He thought that's going to make him happy. He thought this is the path to my blessedness right here. I'm going to turn Jesus over. They want him. They're going to kill him. I know how to give him over. I'm going to do it. I'm going to prosper at it. I'm going to profit from it. This is my path to prosperity. And he, he believed that lie and he did it. And what was the result of Judas's, what was the end of Judas's life? His own suicide. That after doing it and cashing in where he thought he was going to have this life of bliss and prosperity, what happens to him? His conscience crashes down on his party. And his guilt is so overwhelming that he hangs himself. He is so guilt-ridden. Where's the prosperity, beloved? Where's the happiness, Happy people don't commit suicide. The happy people, blessed people don't commit suicide. The godly man, the godly woman does not take counsel from the ungodly. It does not walk in their ways, their habits, their lifestyles. You know, when I watch all these videos of these teachers grooming um, these students to accept and to participate in this whole queer movement, and, and, and you, find, you, you see these parents arguing at these board meetings, yeah, I, I, in one sense, I can't, I can't understand it. Pull them out. Why are you leaving... Look, a, a, a father and a mother, their treasure is their children. Their earthly treasure is their children. I, I mean, I doubt any of you would take your treasure trove box and say it had $500,000 in it of gold, and you say, here, Pastor Stanfield, you hold on to this for me. No, you wouldn't. I don't trust him with that. And yet we'll turn our children over to those who brag about grooming children into the queer movement. And then going and fussing at the world for allowing it. It's insane. The godly person will not tolerate such foolishness. Now, let me say this, because I, I want to be very sensitive. I, 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 I am deeply compassionate for single mothers who have to work, single fathers who have to work, and they have no way of taking, how am I going to take care of this, this, this boy, this girl, or several of them? It's hard, isn't it? Those are realities, and I can't imagine being in that situation and having to choose. And and so very sympathetic. It doesn't mitigate what the Scriptures teach. 
But we have to be sympathetic to those positions. Notice the second one, the second kind of person, nor stand in the path of sinners. Now, the second one addresses the path of the sinner, and there's a progression here. If you read any kind of commentary, typically they'll point out that there's a progression between the wicked, the sinner, and the scoffer, each one worse than the other, each one worse than the one before it. The wicked is bad enough, but the sinner is worse than the wicked. And yet now we find this progression in the believer where he not only begins to take counsel with the wicked, but now he's standing in the same path as the sinner. He's on that path. And remember, to be the blessed man, we have to avoid the counsel and the path. Now, some of it is very, very misleading. I think we were talking, or I was hearing a conversation this morning about it. And brothers and sisters, we live in a day and time where words that we think we know the meaning to, we don't know the meaning to. They're being used in nefarious ways. Subtle ways, trickery, deceit is involved because they've taken the same word and the same verbiage and the same phrases that we would use in common language and they are now attributing to them very devious definitions. And we have to be careful of that. It's, you know, it is, you don't have to change the words of the Bible to change the meaning of the Bible. You just have to change the meaning of the words. And then you change the Bible. So we have to make sure that we don't stand on this path, that, we're, that we are not naive and, and short-sighted when we are hearing things, that, that we should not take the world at face value, but we should examine it. Proverbs 4 talks about governing and guarding our hearts, and we should do that. How do we do that? Well, we do that by not accepting things at face value, but we mull it over. We discern, we, we discern through it. We, we criticize it. We judge it. We look at it and we examine it through the filter of what? God's word. Now that's important to verse two, but we'll get there, right? But notice the third progression. He doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, the scoffer is the worst kind of sinner, and that's what we're mainly dealing with today, scoffers. People that blaspheme the Lord, blaspheme his name, blaspheme the church, blaspheme the scriptures. These are very dangerous and seriously, seriously compromised people. Have no values whatsoever. I mean, when you can hear a person talk about the joys of 10 abortions. When you can hear a person you talk about the joy of, of having children mutilated to, to, quote, change their gender, that's a scoffer. That's a scoffer. I will not say there is no return for that person, 
but it's very difficult. It's very difficult. The point with the the point for the godly is to stay away from them. Jesus even told his disciples in Matthew 15, have nothing to do with these Pharisees. Have nothing to do with them. They're set in their ways. You're not changing their mind. And they're clever. They've changed the word of God. They've they've twisted the word of God. And they're very persuasive. Stay away from them. And God will deal with them. That's, That's these people. Just stay away from them. Don't try to debate them. You, you know, I, I know most of us think we're clever enough and skilled enough and, and whatnot. And I'm not saying we never engage them when we have to. But th- th- there is not going to be a sit-down conversation. These people won't have it. And nor should you waste your time. How do we judge these things? Well, verse 2, we judge these things because the godly person takes delight in the law of, God, of the Lord. His delight is in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night. Why does he meditate on it? Because he wants to use it. Brothers and sisters, theoretical knowledge is not going to save you. Theoretical, Theoretical knowledge is not going to preserve you in this life. You have to put into practice the word of God. You have, to, you have to know it and understand it so that you can put it into practice in any given circumstance. And if you don't know what to do, you seek out men who are godly and wise and know the word of God better than you do and you ask their advice and counsel so that you don't mess up. And here's what I would say, and, and this is why I was so sensitive to my daughters because of, of, of girls getting married and whatnot. Brothers and sisters, there are, there are decisions that you can make that can cost you five, 10 years of your life like that. Okay? Five, 10 years is nothing. It's a big deal. Time is a precious resource. We only have so much of it. And we don't know when our hour glass is up. We don't know. And we have to make the most of every day. We have to make the most of what we've been given, what we've learned, who we are at this moment today, and make use of it. Because we don't know if we have tomorrow to glorify the Lord. We don't know if we have tomorrow to serve our brothers and sisters. We don't know if we're going to have tomorrow to come to church or the next Lord's Day or any of those things. We don't know when we will meet him. And so the way we make the most of every day is to take God's word and apply it to our everyday circumstances and situations so that we glorify God and we benefit our neighbor and we secure our own blessedness. I'm going to say what I've said many times before. Brothers and sisters, you need to be stingy for your own blessedness. Not in an ungodly way. Samuel Willard said it's one of the most preserving virtues of all of Scripture. That God will bless you, God will keep you, God will favor you, God will prosper you if, there's that, there's that conditional clause, if, if what? If you love him. 
believe in him, trust in him, walk with him, serve him. If you don't care about your own spiritual life, you're not going to care about the spiritual life of others. You're not. If you don't care about your own salvation, you're not going to care about salvation of others. If you don't care about your own love for God, you're not going to care about other people loving God. But if you care about your own blessedness and the experience that you have and you sit and you drive and you drive in a church today and you and God, God, thank you for being my God. Thank you for, Lord, I, I stand amazed every day, but even particularly on the Lord's day where I can take the day and just reflect and meditate upon your goodness. Thank you. If I care about that, I'm going to care about your blessedness. And I'm not going to want to offend you. I'm not going to want to be a stumbling block to you. I'm going to want to aid you, help you, pray for you, support you. And this is how we do it. We meditate upon God's law and notice his law day and night means there's an ongoing work at this. It's, it's not something that we do here and there. It's not every now and then. It's something that's done throughout the day while we're awake. Even when we lay down at, on our pillow at night and we pray, we say those evening prayers, we're thinking about things. Now, I, I know you do this. What have I got to do tomorrow at work, right? Well, what have I got to do as a Christian? What have I got to do as a husband? What have I got to do as a daddy? What have I got to do as a mama? What have I got to do as an elder? What have I got to do as a friend? All these things going through our minds. Verse three is the simile. It's the, I love the metaphors. I mean, you know, how much of the Christian life is expressed in metaphors, Think about it. The, the, the Bible is full of metaphors to teach us about the deep things of God. And in verse 3, what does he do? He uses this simile and he says, look, the believer, this blessed man who doesn't have this these kinds of companions, who meditates upon the word of God, it's like a tree, but not just any tree. It's not a dried up tree in the desert. Now that's important because that's how God described the nations in Isaiah, dried up and dead. No, that's not the believer. The believer's not a dried up and dead tree. The believer is a tree planted by the streams of water. This, this believer has everything they need to grow in grace. Do you believe that? He's blessed. He's not just blessed with favor. He's blessed with the means of grace. Paul even says this. You have, every, you have been given everything in Christ Jesus for your salvation, your sanctification, your eternal well-being. You lack nothing. And yet we often tell ourselves we need things. But not when it comes to salvation, not when it comes to our spiritual life. We have everything. And the question is, are we utilizing it? 
Well, this tree lacks nothing. It has all the nourishment it needs in these streams of water. And what's the result? Fruitfulness. Fruit in its season. We're not all going to bear fruit all the time. But we will bear fruit as Christians. The godly man will be fruitful. The godly woman will be fruitful. And the vitality is unending. That is, the leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Why? Because God's blessing him. Brothers and sisters, listen. You should plan as a Christian never to retire as a Christian. You don't retire as a Christian. You might retire as a salesman. You might retire as a carpenter. But you don't retire as a Christian. All of your life is full of vitality and usefulness. And the Lord will bless you. Now let's work into the misery of the ungodly. It's pretty straightforward, easy to understand. Verse 4 tells us that the wicked, that's the ungodly, are not so. Not so how? Not so in anything in verses 1 through 3. They listen to the world. They walk in the counsel of the wicked. They stand in the path of sinners. They sit in the seat of the scornful. It doesn't bother them. And they can sit there and listen to it and say, well, that's not what my view is. But, now, you, know, I'm all, you know, I tolerate it. That's what it means when it talks about not so. They don't meditate on the word of God. They don't enjoy the word of God. They don't like being told they're sinners. They don't like being told what to do. So many people that I have witnessed to have told me, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. The very fact, beloved, is on judgment day, you will be told what to do. Go here or go there. And that's what the psalm points out. You're going to be told what to do. And the other thing that they actually believe they don't do, that, that there's liberty and there's, there's, there's life in this life of sin. But beloved, listen to me. I don't, I don't care where you go. There's all this evidence in the world Sermons are being preached every day on that street corner, not by preachers, by people that are caught up in sin. The question is, will you look at it? Will you watch it? Will you listen to it? The ungodly are not happy. They're not happy. They can say they're happy. They can preach to the till they're blue in the face that they're happy but don't believe them because it's not true misery loves company misery wants others engaged Romans 1 teaches us that the sinful want to, to include others in their own sin to justify themselves and he says right here, he says, but they are like chaff. They're not like the godly. They are like chaff. Look at the simile. Not a tree planted by the rivers of water, but chaff. You know what chaff is? 
they had threshing floors and they would put these threshing floors on top of a hill so that the wind would come across the top of that hill as they would throw the wheat up in the air, what would leave the wheat? Now, you know, a, a wheat kernel's not very big. And yet the wheat would fall back in the basket and the chaff would blow away in the wind. The psalmist, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says the ungodly, they're like the chaff that doesn't even weigh as much as a wheat kernel. The wind blows them away. There's no stability whatsoever. They're tossed to and fro. That's what Jews says about the wicked and the waves. They're just tossed to and fro. They're not stable. And then look at what he says in verse 5. He says, now this is, now therefore, now what does he mean? He says, because they are not like the godly and because they're not, there's no vitality and substance to them, therefore the wicked will not even be able to stand in the judgment. That is, they won't be able to, listen, what the picture is, is they won't be able to bear the scrutiny of the judge. They can't bear the scrutiny. They'll fail the scrutiny. They'll fail the judgment. They'll fail the discernment, the, the all-seeing eye of the judge. They can't pass the judgment of the judge. nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. There's separation here. If we're, not going to be, if we're not going to be partnered up with them in eternity or even on judgment day, well, brothers, why and sisters, why would we partner up with them now in here? Verse six is our consolation. This is our motivation. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. What does it mean by no? Mean the Lord's intimate with the righteous. That's what the word no means, intimacy. He knows everything about you. He knows how to help you. He knows how to comfort you. He knows how to love you. He knows how to lead you. He knows how to guide you. He knows how to build you up. He knows how to preserve you. He knows you in every way. But the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord doesn't know the wicked the way. The Lord doesn't know the wicked in that intimate sense. He knows them in judgment. He's intimate with the godly. He's the judge of the ungodly. He's the father, the father to the godly and the judge to the wicked. But the way of the wicked will perish. The psalm sets before us these choices we make every day. It's to motivate us to make the best choice, the better choice, the godly choice. Keeping in mind that as we make our choices in this life, brothers and sisters, we are preserving our own blessedness. Amen. Nothing wrong with that preserving our favor with, I don't want anything. It's like my wife. I'm not going to let anything get between me and the love of my wife. And I'm not going to let anything get between me and the intimacy of my heavenly father. 
That's what the psalm is teaching us. It would do us well, brothers and sisters, to learn this. This is the gospel, the gospel path, the gospel way. This psalm sets forth what a gospel, a person that's grasped the gospel, that believes the gospel, that wants to walk. This, this is a psalm of instruction that helps us see what a believer looks like. And we should heed that description and be, be greatly motivated that the believer is like a tree planted by the streams of water, fruitful and prosperous. That's you if you do these things. That's a promise. It's a psalm of instruction. It's a psalm that gives us, a, it has a motivation attached to it. If you do these things, this is you and these are yours. So let's pray. And Father in heaven, these are simple things. The way of the godly, the way of the wicked. And those two do not run parallel. They never meet. And Father, our, the Bible's full of both groups. The world is full of both groups. Lord, we watch and we witness the destruction of sin and people that indulge in it. Lord, whether they're young or old or whatever it is. Lord, let us, keep us from falling into those traps that try to convince us, those philosophies that try to convince us that there is a prosperous way that does not serve the Lord, that doesn't trust in him, that doesn't walk with him, that does not heed the word of God. Help us, Lord. Help us to discern those pitfalls and see them clearly so that we might avoid them. And we pray all of this in Christ's name, amen.